One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah. Hi, this is Virginia Priest from Brooklyn, New York, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Thank you so much, Virginia. It's uh, fantastic to have somebody from around here where we're recording the tennis podcast right now in New York, introducing this edition, the final edition of the US Open dailies. And um, Virginia became a friend of the tennis podcast at the intro level. You can do the same if you'd like to go to our friends link in our show notes and you'll be able to introduce the show request a shout out at the end of the show um, and uh, just generally get access to the 20 podcasts that we've already recorded over the course of the last 10 months. They include the Juan Martin Del Potro story, the Tracy Austin story that we did a couple of weeks back, loads more. And this week alone, we're going to be recording our uh, review show in a couple of days time. We've got a Q&A coming with friends of the Tunners podcast, Catherine, Matt and myself answering friends questions. That's coming up next week. And also, even tomorrow, we've got one for you. That's my diary of the US Open. Also, don't forget our competition. You could be in with a chance of winning a trip to the Australian Open in January if you're a friend. Throughout the US Open, we've been brought to you in association with AO Travel, who provide the Australian Open experience the easy way. With AO Travel, you can create your own package of tickets for the days and sessions and courts of your choosing at the 2023 Australian Open. They'll look after your flights, your accommodation, premium experiences such as wine tasting, behind-the-scenes tours, even a Rod Laver Arena walk-on experience. So go to ausopentravel.com, that's A-U-S-OpenTravel.com, for details on how to get the best of all of it. Best tennis, the best in Melbourne, and it's all in one place. Faff free. And don't forget, that one lucky friend of the Tennis Podcast is going to win a pair of incredible AO travel packages to go to the Australian Open themselves in January. You'll receive an array of tickets over the middle weekend. You'll get two return economy flights. You'll get accommodation and you'll get a premium experience. All closes on September the 16th, so that's Friday. Keep an eye out for our newsletter to enter. Um, or if you're already a friend and you don't get the newsletter for whatever reason, email us, friends at tennispodcast.net, and we'll send you the link. Catherine, it's been quite a day. Yeah, even more so now. That was like Mohamed Leani conducting a coin toss. <laughs> I'm going to say that as a lot, compliment, Lots Matt. of admin. <laughs> yes, lots of admin. 
Yes, I feel like Rafael Nadal and Novak Djokovic after the 2012 Australian Open final, waiting for Kia Guy at the Australian Open (laughs) to finish his speech. Although I am sitting down and they were requesting chairs then, weren't they? (laughs) (laughs) You are. Uh, And actually, I think um, we all need seats and Kasper Ruud and Carlos Alcaraz need seats after today. I mean, it wasn't a match of that length. But we, you know, we've got it on the TV right now, and the intensity of the rallies, the the relentlessness of it all. I mean, it was one heck of a match, and I know it was only four sets in the end, but it was hard fought. And Carlos Alcaraz is a winner. I mean, what a story! He's the he's the youngest world number one ever in men's tennis. Yeah, it's a lot to process, isn't it? It's um, you know we've talked for so long now about the curve that he's been on and and ahead of for so long um i can see matt's already doing a slightly smug little smile so i feel like we should just get the inevitable out of the way uh and and matt should matt should have to read out what he tweeted (laughs) tonight and just just own it matt own your smugness yeah front up i agree well i said to you i'm only smug on twitter and now you're making me do it on the podcast. <laughs> but anyway, I will. Fine. So I tweeted in February 2018. I saw this kid play in Barcelona last year. Blew my mind a little that someone could be that good at 13. He's now got his first ATP point. And that, of course, was about Carlos Alcaraz. So tonight I tweeted, I saw this guy play in New York tonight. Blew my mind a little that someone could be that good at 19. He's now got his first Grand Slam title and the number one ranking. It's very clever, isn't it? It's too good. Mm. It's hard to give him a hard time over that, Mm. isn't it? Because it's actually quite good. Mm. (laughs) The thing is, what I will always say about this, it was a true right place in the right time situation. Because honestly... Anyone could have watched Carlos Alcaraz in 2017 and thought, that guy is amazing. He was just amazingly good. Did you tell that everybody around you was thinking that? Oh, yeah. Are are there other tweets out there (laughs) in the ether from people that were there that day? (laughs) I hope so. Also feeling smug. (laughs) I've just made you quote yourself, quoting yourself. (laughs) (laughs) I hate you a little bit right now. Right. Let's move it on to talk about what happened tonight because, I mean, you you two picked that score, didn't you, and that result. Is that right? Yes, you're teeing me up to be smug now. Well, yes, I did. Yeah, those are know. my passing words on before, before jogging off into the New York night yesterday. Alcaraz in four. But, and yet it still was quite precarious I thought I mean we've just watched the the third set tie break now throughout that third set so so the story of the match is Alcaraz wins the first set 6-4 and then he has a real low an energy low and the opposite's happening to Rude Rude's playing well he wins the second set 6-2 the third set is the is the heart of the match that the match that's I'm not saying that's the turning point in terms of if Rude had won it Alcaraz wouldn't have come back he might have done but once Alcaraz had won a set that he that at times he was second best in, he was having again. He looked like he almost needed a some chocolate or something to just get, get him going. Um, I mean, hardly surprising after three successive five set matches. But I mean, we, were either of you thinking 
this could be Roots now in that third set. This the whole thing. Honestly, no. Um, I don't think there was ever a point in the match where I would have put Rude's win probability, um, to use a very um, du jour uh, turn of phrase, higher than Alcaraz's. Obviously, there were moments in that third set when I rated Rude's chances more highly than at other points in the match, for sure. But I, there was never a moment where I thought, in your words, David, this could be Rude's. I mean, obviously, at any stage, it could have been Rude's. But I was always feeling Alcaraz tonight. Because, yes, he had that energy dip and a few lulls. But basically, he showed up, Carlos Alcaraz. He showed up. He wasn't paralysed by nerves and occasion and the momentousness of it all. He wasn't paralysed by the stakes. And P.S. neither was Casper Ruud. But take away all of that, Alcaraz is a better tennis player. Um, and I, it always felt like that was pretty much what it would come down to tonight. It felt like just a, it felt like a tennis match, really. And Alcaraz, according to the rankings, and I know there are asterisks next to them at the moment, but... He's a better tennis player than anyone. And if he if he shows up... By showing up, I don't mean he played his best tennis. I don't think he did. But he he was on it enough tonight to, to make it about just being a better tennis player, I thought. Yeah, I thought so too. I, I enjoyed the match a lot. I mean, when it was good, it was really, really good. Uh, and it was interesting to compare this US Open final to team Zverev of a couple of years ago where it was an opportunity for both of them to win their first Grand Slam title. I know that was played in extraordinary circumstances with no one in the stadium but it was super tight wasn't it both of them this one they were able to as you said be more of themselves on the court and I thought some of the rallies were absolutely thrilling and dynamic. And actually what was interesting is that Rude was winning a lot of the highlight reel points, you know, the, the sort of Alcaraz points that we've come to expect. It was, it was Rude who was winning them. Um, if I were Rude, I would have a regret about the start of the third set because he just won, just won the second. As you said, Alcaraz was looking a little fatigued and he immediately went down a break at the start of the third. He got it back, but that was a chance maybe to stretch stretch ahead. And then the tie break, because he played an absolutely horrible tie break. It Shanks, forehand misses. It was a real shock. He handed it to Alcaraz. But the key moment probably was the game right before the tie break, when Rude did have some set points. And, well... I mean, Carlos Alcaraz came to the net to save both of those set points, and that was a real feature of his play tonight, how willing he was to come forward, how bold he was on big points. And he saved them. You know, Rude didn't lose them. Alcaraz saved them with, with great play, with some volleys, and that was the match right there. And uh, Alcaraz stepped up. I know there's such a fine line between bravery and stupidity or foolhardiness but on one of those set points when he served and volleyed the the previous point that he'd lost to set up Reed's set point 
he had served and volleyed and been passed handily by Casper Ruud on the forehand. So for him then to mm. think, okay, fine, you got me that one time, you're not getting me again. Um, maybe that's just being 19, but it, I don't, I don't think that's what he believes like in. For that, me, being 19, he believes in that style of play. It's part of mm. his DNA as a tennis player. I always remember when you first put him on our radar mat all those years ago. You you would you you would seek out any match he was playing on TV. I remember there, were, there was a period where I, th- I think he had a run. Was it a tournament like Rio or mm. someone like that? Um, Rio 2019. Yeah, and I just remember you saying that he's just done a a kick serve, and he's just gone hurtling into the net to to serve and volley, and it was really sort of surprising to see it because you just you know you th- you. Th- I thought he was a clay quarter. I didn't know he, he, he would do all that. And you, you, you described it, and I thought, really? You know, is he? Is he, is, is that just panic? And, and it's not. It's part of who he is as a tennis player. He's always said, hasn't he? I am like Roger Federer. I'm not like Rafael Nadal. I mean, obviously, he embodies a good amount of the Rafael Nadal spirit. But in terms of the tennis, he's. He's, you know, he's not Roger Federer, but that's who he's modelled his tennis on. Mm. Yeah, he's so keen to attack and get forward, and those things do remind me of Federer. And I love how willing he is to come forward and how good he is at the net. I think that that separates him from a lot of the other young players we've seen come through. We've we've often talked about Rublev maybe not having the skills in in the forecourt. Zverev and um, Tsitsipas even I think covers the net well but maybe doesn't have the great volleys but Alcaraz is is just brilliant at the net and he wins so many points with hard volleys you know those skills he's developed help him win points and I must say Rude today as well I thought volleyed really well it was a really nice element of the match both players uh, both players hitting volleys and hitting them well Mm. do you think the crowd were aware of what they were witnessing in our crowds do you, I mean do you think that they are Hell that, yeah. do you think oh, that yeah. they think that they're looking at somebody who they're going to be seeing do this many times over yes the feel I got from the crowd is that they were all very excited about being able to say in 15 years time I was there when he won his first yeah yeah and I think a lot of that comes from last year in a way I think they were really introduced to him with the matches he played at this tournament last year when he beat Sitsipas on Ash and he returns this year and did he play every single match on Ash? I think he did, didn't he? Mm. Did he? They they they've billed him here as a guy to watch and I think the crowd have responded and of course the way he plays tennis, you know, he he makes people that even don't really know who he is love him and he's so he's so fast and it's like speed is such an easy thing to enjoy you know it's why the 100 meter sprint is so enticing as a spectacle who's the fastest and Alcaraz when he sprints you can you can feel it in the crowd the people getting excited that they're watching this guy move so quickly when he sets off yeah Yeah. is he gonna get there he has that quality that the best athletes in any sport have and I mean you know a Usain Bolt type when maybe he's left in the blocks maybe he's made a poor start 
but you know the surge is coming. Mm. And, and there is a sort of collective holding of the breath to see whether he's going to catch whoever it is on the line. And, and it's, it's like that with Alcaraz setting off for a ball that, that is absurdly out of reach. And then suddenly he's just there. Um, and, and the crowd go in waves, ever increasing waves of noise and pitch as they, as they react to it. And, and you can then see he's feeding off that. He loves all that because the moment he reaches one and hits a winner and he gets that roar, he's got a way of celebrating that is so unobnoxious, you know, and appealing. He just, and sometimes he put out his chin as if to say, did you see that? <laughs> yeah, and yet also completely self-aware. Like, he knows how good he is, but is somehow not obnoxious about that. And the he single is, finger in the air. Yeah, or, or the vibe the, is... I can't believe I just did that. Can you believe it? Did you see that? Yeah. <laughs> it is extraordinary. Uh, I mean, I thought, I thought Kasparud did Kasparud tonight, really. And I know there were those spectacular moments that maybe you wouldn't expect, but he brings you a match. He, there was none of the Nadal sort of freezing in the, in the headlights. Um, he believed he could win, and he went out and he did his methodical best with some sprinkling of spectacular in there as well. He he did, and I don't want to be too hard on, on Kasparu because there's plenty of players that wouldn't have made it even close to a match tonight. Um, but we've just... I, I watched that third set tie break live in the stadium and we've just watched it again on on TV. Um, and that was very un-Kasparu. You know, as you said, he, he brings it. That's what he does. He He, he doesn't give much away and he gave he gave that tie break away look had he been more solid more solid Alcaraz might still have won with the spectacular but make him produce the spectacular at least make him yeah. go for it I mean we're talking I think there were three shanks I found um, it quite similar to Jabur in the tie break last night she she sort of stiffened up at the end of it mm. and and that that's what separates the player that wins these titles and the one that doesn't a lot of the time. Um, and, and look at it, Shrentek's got three of these things. Alcaraz is off and running, and those two have both got mm. runner-up results. Both very creditable, and both, you know, they might get over the line. I think Jabir will get over the line. I think Rude might f- f- sort of squeeze one in somewhere if he keeps getting himself in a position, but... Squeeze one in. Well, do, do you know what I mean? I, yeah, I, I mean, frankly, I think if Alcaraz squeeze stays... Squeeze one in among all the Alcaraz. Yeah, winning. if well, Alcaraz yeah. stays fit, everyone's just hoping to squeeze one in, frankly. Um, yeah. Greg Rosetsky on our Prime Video coverage, who has played and lost a US Open final, thinks that Casper Ruud ought to and will be having sleepless nights about that third set and the third set about the set points and about the tie break really um and maybe that's necessary to make him better and hungrier and you know rude's been characterized by always sort of when everybody else sort of pats him on the back and congratulates him for raising the bar a bit more he goes no, no i'm not done yet i'm going to raise the bar a bit further mm. sort of cameron norrie like um, so maybe maybe that would be a good thing for him. But I think it's too simplistic to just go, oh, well, Alcaraz is 
better than everybody. Rude did well to make it a match today. I think that's true, but I also think there's room for Rude to to have a few regrets in there. Yeah, I agree. I I, I think he he played well. He did. Uh, he was a lot more comfortable than the Roland Garros final where Nadal's his idol and I think there was an element of happy to be there. Tonight he believed, he played well, he just didn't execute in the key moment, which was the tiebreak. And he does have a weak a weakness on the backhand that no matter how much he seems to condition it to strengthen it, it it can let him down. It can and it does. I think he's gonna keep getting better, rude. I don't know how good the backhand will get. I mean, I always remember Federer saying that he, you know, he always thanked the tour, didn't he, for playing to his backhand because it <laughs> it made it better, and that that might happen with Rude a bit. Um, I also think he'll probably, you know, he might improve his serve a bit more, and I just I just back him to incrementally get better, as he's done throughout his career. Uh, and this is the best tennis he's ever played on a hard court. Uh, it was a tougher run to the final, I would say, than what he had in Paris as well. It's a great, great week. Um, and I don't know. I I don't feel like Rude really lost this match. I just think it was just that tie break was, was a moment he will regret. We're going to have to turn the TV off because we've now reached the stage of the replay on uh, ESPN where they're showing the Alcaraz hugs. And I can't, I can't, can't handle the Juan Carlos Ferreira hug again. Yeah, oh, I've just witnessed it and I, I did, <laughs> I've got a bit of a wobbly lip. <laughs> and he's just hugged his brother and he's just sort of pulling at the back of his brother's hair in, in just joy and he, emotion. Um, he oh. described him as a, a second father. Oh. In the interview that he gave uh, to us on on Prime, and just said, "I wouldn't have any of this without Juan Carlos Ferrero, who incidentally became world number one himself, didn't he, in the U.S. Open final 19 years ago?" But despite losing, despite losing it, exactly. Mm. And here, I mean, if you've never seen Juan Carlos Ferrero play, he was a really good player, and he was like a sort of version 1.0 of what Alcaraz is. It's he had the incredible fast arm and he was really quick around the court and to think that Alcaraz is this much better than him I mean if you went back 20 years and had that conversation I mean look you know maybe in 20 years time Alcaraz will be coaching somebody that's just (laughs) taking it to another level who knows but that relationship is how long have they been together? Basically since the start of his pro career? Just 2018, I think. Juan Carlos Ferrero saw Matt's tweet. <laughs> he said, oh, I'm onto something here. Yeah. So I'll, I'll take a look. Bye, Zverev. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they, they, don't, they do seem very different characters to be coaching, let's be honest. I mean, but the, the bond between Alcaraz oh. and Ferrero, it, it just seems to work. I mean, he's done a really good job with him, hasn't he? If if they ever split up, I won't take it well. <laughs> I mean, apart from the fact that, obviously, he's an immense talent and he's got to try to make him a better tennis player, he's made him a good pro already. To be a good pro at this age is... <sighs> and it, and he's he, he might become even more useful to Carlos Alcaraz next year. 
you know, second season syndrome, target on his back, um, people figuring out his his game and his his weaknesses. P.S. If there are any weaknesses, DBC on that front, um, because Juan Carlos Ferrero is somebody that squeezed one in, isn't he? Really yeah. great player. He just managed to squeeze squeeze out a grand slam he, he, in, in between. Well, before eras. Federer took yeah. over and Nadal took over, mm. but and but you're right between areas because I have to say when Federer came along, we we thought this is this guy's going to yeah. be a serial winner, yeah. and he reached two French Open finals. He had the the really disappointing loss to Albert Costa that we often talk about, and then he won one. Um, and then he reached the U.S. Open final, which actually with his game was a heck of an achievement, really, because it wasn't. Players didn't have the the obvious ambition to do it on both clay and hard back then. They just didn't think that was doable, I didn't think, um, to, to the degree. I mean, I think Carlos Moya probably changed that viewpoint generally by reaching the Australian Open final in 96, I think it was. And that really came out of the blue. But, I mean, now you, you don't have many players who you just think clay quarter with zero ambition to do anything else. Um, there's a... Nadal has changed that a lot and Alcaraz I mean he's better on this than Clay isn't he do you think that's a really interesting one because I was thinking today during the match his drop shot really wasn't working today no and he overused it he overused it yeah that was a real um, just shot selection black spot tired Tired shot selection. Yeah, uh, you could and, see the fatigue today, couldn't you? Yeah, a, a tiny glimpse of it. The way I could see the Northern Lights. I... <laughs> <laughs> really pale haze I mean, in the background. Catherine, you didn't see the Northern Lights at all. <laughs> uh, and they said, "Oh, you, you did." Mm. Like, don't the people in charge of granting me a refund. I'm sorry. Definitely <laughs> I thought th- I saw the Northern Northern what Lights. What I saw out there today, particularly in that. The early parts of that third set were tired shots. He then well, got a thank second. Goodness. He then got a second win. He spent more time on court than anyone ever has to win a Grand Slam tournament since records began being kept. That is astonishing, isn't yeah. it? And the Over- previous record was Nadal from earlier this year. Of course it was. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm gra- I am glad that he feels mm. tired, that, that he felt tired. But you could see there were, there were some lackluster errors that you wouldn't normally see from him. But but on the drop shot thing, I mean, he's got the best drop shot in tennis. That was what you know you were saying about the um, the net game. That I watched that same Rio final in 2019, and the drop shots just blew me away. I didn't know that I could be that excited by a drop shot, really. And I just remember being on the edge of my seat, sort of thinking, "I hope he plays one in this point." <laughs> um, and I think. When I think back to Madrid, you know, I was there for his whole title run in Madrid, courtside watching up close. The drop shot is what sticks in the forefront of my mind about that run. It was just deadly. It's the devastating, com- isn't it? combination of the power, push you back and then play a drop shot. Didn't even matter if it was a brilliant drop shot because he'd pushed, you, pushed the opponent so far back with his brute force on the previous shot. Um, but they invariably were brilliant drop shots. So he's got that incredible weapon on clay that is blunted on hard courts. Because mm, it bounces up, doesn't it? Actually, by the way, you know, um, w- early in the third set when I said he was 
so I felt he was suffering this low in energy. Um, I actually went out into the public area and, and, and there was a, a, quite a crowd around the big jumbotron with with Mary Carrillo's commentary coming out. Uh, well, very, that'd, be, that'd be why then. Yeah, very loud. That's right. Very loud out of the speaker. So I, I went out to get a, a drink and, and I was keeping across it. And her co-commentator today, today Jimmy Arias, said he's starting to telegraph that drop shot or, or more to the point, Casper Rude is starting to read it. The moment that that Alcaraz would kind of cock the wrist and mm. you could see Rude was already moving forwards. And on the clay, that didn't matter so much. It no, was clay, they were so devastating. You could, so even good. if you read it. Yeah. Mm. And, and it was well disguised. When, he, when yeah. he's not played three, five set matches in six days, he's not tired and he's not telegraphing them. Mm. <laughs> I guess, is it because... Players are standing further back on the clay as well, perhaps. So yeah, there's more, I guess so. There's more room to hit the drop shots. Just on the fatigue as well, which sounds like you saw more evidence of than I did, David. Um, but I, I absolutely believe you, and I'm very reassured by the fact that well, I, I think Carlos he, Alcaraz might actually get tired I, I like the rest he, of us. He got a second wind, and then suddenly he was off again. Yeah, because I felt he was getting a bit tired as well, and... I was thinking, oh, he's coming to the net to shorten some points, maybe. Exactly, that's but what I thought. Pa- at, a bit of panic, same, really. But at the same time, he was charging into the net, and that's a very explosive movement that you have to have energy for. It wasn't like he was just hanging at the back and going through the motions in rallies, which you might do if you're tired as well. He was, he was still managing to bring yeah. energy to those points. But which comes first? Does the charge give you the adrenaline? I mean, I wonder whether that, whether there's a bit of that. I think he just wakes up in the morning charged with adrenaline. I bet he's <laughs> one of those annoying people. Yeah. That These people get pumped out. Of so annoying, isn't it? So annoying. The alarm goes off. But he 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 talked. Um, I think he might have talked about it in his press conference. But Tim Heman on our coverage had spoken to Juan Carlos Ferrero um, earlier on today, and he had made the pretty bold decision that on the days after his extremely late finishes after his quarterfinal and semi-final so on his off days he didn't practice didn't oh, practice at all and that really just had is gym un- sessions yeah just had gym sessions and that really is unusual i believe um and he also um decided that despite the match starting at 4 p.m tonight they would come in at i think they came in at 9.30, whether that was arriving at 9.30 um, or getting the bus at 9.30, I don't know. They probably got a car. Pro- <laughs> probably weren't on the media shuttle. <laughs> but anyway. Um, Flagging And it was, it was so, it, I think it was so that it didn't feel that there was lots of sort of anxious waiting around for the day to start. You know, a way to calm the nerves and make the day, day feel more productive somehow I don't know anyway whatever the thinking behind the plan was it it worked and that's you know there's lots of very clear arm around the shoulder stuff and game development that Juan Carlos Ferrero was doing with Carlos Alcaraz but there's also you know those are some quite big calls I think not practicing on days Mm. off that's that's pretty bold managerial stuff yeah well, i was trying to work out that's what, leaving cristiano ronaldo on the bench stuff when, when when we were in england last year and we were having to sort of 
produced the the podcast at about four a.m. and then and there were a couple of days where I went to, went to breakfast at six before going to bed. Um, you know, that's what he was up against, oh, really, we, wasn't it? Uh, what we needed was Juan Carlos Ferrero calling us up and saying, have the day off. Have the day off. <laughs> yeah, that's you, right. And you have sleep, a hug. You sleep in, Catherine. <laughs> have a hug. You sleep in. When you're ready, I'll be here to give you a hug. Oh, <laughs> Tell you what, I mean, this whiskey's going down well, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> Do you know what percentage of his potential... Ferrero thinks Alcaraz is at. I was going oh, to ask you that key. question. I've, I really want to know. I've, I've I just, hope, just read I it from the press Stephanos conference. Stefanos Tsitsipas is not listening to, to the answer. <laughs> what is it? Insert next gen name here. Mm. What is it? Right? 60%. Oh, oh, my God. And yet, that's, that's about what I would have said. Mm. And Ferrero thinks he can improve his return, his serve, his backhand, <laughs> his consistency, especially <laughs> mentally. I would agree. Yeah, I genuinely would agree with His mental consistency this tournament hasn't been brilliant. He's had lots of quite big lapses where he just sort of thinks he's playing an exhibition mm. for a bit and stops st- stops concentrating I, on winning points. I love, I love the way that Ferrero isn't all hyped up and stressed in the match and ten- demanding he do things a certain way. He seems to be one of these who's, look, I've prepared you. Go and sort yourself out. And then when you finish the match, I'll come back and I'll prepare you for the next one. And we'll build and we'll have an off-season and all that. So nurturing, isn't it? Yeah, it's, oh, I love oh. it. Yeah. I think Alcaraz likes that he's there during the match. He often looks to him. He often you know, raises his voice a bit at him. But he, he, I don't think he expects anything back. And he doesn't, he doesn't get anything back. Frero just sort of grins at him. Um, and I do think on on those on those specific points, return that has stood out to me. Like he does miss some returns that you just think, well, you know, Novak Djokovic would make that on a big point, and he's missing maybe. And the serve, I've always thought he needs more free points on it, but actually in the fourth set today, he suddenly started getting it, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. I think he hit about seven aces in that set, loads of unreturned serves, and that was a a glimpse of what that serve is capable of. I, I think it really helped him that he, he because he squeezed out that that third set. Suddenly, he's. It seemed that he was either right. I'm going to play really efficient, really aggressive tennis now and try and do this in four, or I'll outlast him with my Superman powers at the back of the court. Lots of things being squeezed in and out. Yeah. This <laughs> podcast. Well. That's what happens when David has whiskey. Yeah, that's what happens when I have whiskey. And and actually, I think it's what happens when you get two players who've never been on that stage before, and yet they handle themselves so much better than Alexander Zverev and Dominic Thiem did two years ago. Yes, that that, that final two years ago is... It gets an increasing hammering every time. Yeah. Every time we bring it up, we're going to talk about it forever, aren't we? <laughs> and I mean, look, to be fair, they were playing in front of nobody, yeah. which, which is a re- mentally that must it's be such so a... dystopian. Yeah. Although, watching it back, yeah, I guess Asaka and Azarenka weren't in their first final, were they? No. I mean, they and it, and it was better quality. <laughs> it's just so not real tennis is it to be playing in front of no one I mean I'm like I can't believe that happened still <laughs> mind you who can believe any of the things that happened over the last two years happened um, but I, I think when I watch Alcaraz 
I feel like I'm looking at things that I've never seen, no matter who it is before. What are those things? Nadal, not even, not even Nadal, not even Federer, not even Djokovic, not even Borg, not even McEnroe, none of them, Sampras. There's something, he's got something. That doesn't mean he's going to go and win double-digit Grand Slams or, or be as great as they were. But he has a quality, he has an ability that is something new. He's brought something new to the sport. I don't know whether it's going to be a successful new because I think he actually needs to add structure to his game that he doesn't have at the moment because he needs to win straightforward points and straightforward matches and not always be spectacular. But the spectacular level he has, speed off the mark, increasing velocity of shots, gasp-inducing explosiveness... That combination of speed and and sheer brute power off a fast arm. I don't know. I mean, it's it's just nothing. Like, I've never seen anything quite like that before. We really need to enjoy the spectacular while it is spectacular. Like, I think he will always remain brilliant to watch. But we're in a we're in a sort of golden moment for it being completely spectacular before he's untamed built. yeah untamed it's just raw and yet <laughs> so good and yet it's still capable of winning a grand slam title he's won a grand slam at 60 percent <laughs> amazing so do you think as he exploits that remaining 40 is it 40 or 35 percent 40 yeah 40 percent he will become slightly not less spectacular in that the peaks won't be as high, but less prone to the spectacular. There'll be more repeatable ways of winning rallies. I think points. so. I, I think so, but I also think he has a little bit of that Federer showmanship in him. Mm. I think a little he, bit? <laughs> yes, I think he does love uh, a moment to just make the crowd go, wow. Oh, I think in every Carlos Alcaraz match, you know, to come, there will be a spectacular shot, a spectacular moment, something you remember. In, in the same way that Federer has always done that. I just think he's he probably will rein it in a little bit in terms of, yeah, structure probably is the word. Just more structure to his game, more patterns, I suppose. I think he still he has got patterns. That kick serve is one. With the big followed up by the big forehand or a or, volley, or the absolute charge to the net after, yeah. after the kick serve. Yeah. That, that one amuses me. Um, gosh, he's he's something else. It's been some day, hasn't it? Mm. It really has. And actually, a, a very nice exchange between him and Igor Sviantek on uh, on Twitter. Actually, where oh, I haven't seen that. She congratulated him. He immediately replied and congratulated her and said mm. how nice it was that they. They'd both won their first US Open title at the same time. Oh, that's mm. lovely. And very, very much undertones of, we're going to win loads of these, aren't we? You and me. <laughs> mm. Yeah, well, they are. Well, they are. <laughs> <laughs> there was, speaking of nice exchanges, there was also a good moment. I think it was in the first set where Rude gave Alcaraz the point. Oh, yes. Oh, after that, was, a, that was fantastic. After a double bounce that hadn't been called. Glad you reminded me of that. Umpire. Because, yeah, Rude. He's so fast. He charged in, 
to try and get this ball and he scooped his racket underneath it and you, you can't tell immediately uh, from the side or from the, in real time he knew though he knew he immediately gave the point and the way Alcaraz responded was just to applaud him and then point and, and like make sure that people in the stadium knew what, uh, what Rude had done and applaud him from the far end several times pointing and just getting the crowd to show their appreciation and it you know, I know we love aggro and all, all the rest of it, but I also love that. Just oh, it's, yeah. it's about making you feel things, isn't it? And mm. Alcaraz makes me feel stuff all the time, the way he plays and the way he carries himself. And I don't know, I've got a real soft spot for Rude too. I think they're, uh, the, the, the good thing is a bloke like Alcaraz needs a foil. And Sin is the ultimate foil, I would say, just at the moment of, of players that are active. Um, because you know Nadal's in and out just at the moment, and Djokovic we haven't seen for a bit. But these guys, I think Alcaraz against any of them, Rude, Sinner, uh, Djokovic, Nadal, it's going to be really, really good the next couple of years before he utterly takes over. So basically, Alcaraz against anybody <laughs> yeah. is, is great. So he doesn't need a file. He just, no, need, he just, he just needs... needs to be on the court. <laughs> no, I think I think there are some people. <laughs> that, mean. Some people I'm not so. I don't know whether I'd be that into him playing against big servers. Him against Maxime Cressy. I don't know whether that's going to work. But, Sounds like a match you would love, David. But who against a big server would you get excited about? I, I used to like big servers against Djokovic to see whether Djokovic could return them. Um, right. That's just me. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's been quite a day. It's quite a day, and, and one we won't forget. If if we're if we're throwing it forward, as we like to do, the last two U.S. Opens in the men's have been won by non-Djokovic and Nadal players. Team Medvedev, and then obviously Nadal and Djokovic have come out at the start of the next year, and. They've dominated Wimbledon and Roland Garros and the Australian Open as well. Does this does this feel different? Like, are we backing Alcaraz to win a Slam again next year? Like, yes. I think I probably am. Yes, but I thought Medvedev would win the Australian Open. Right, and I think I probably did as well. Very nearly did. Um, it's pretty hard not to see somebody win the US Open and not think that they're going to win the Australian right, Open. Right, that's kind of what I'm saying. Yeah, because you, you have to feel like some things would have to happen in the meantime to to change things. I mean, obviously, so much depends on whether Djokovic will be in Melbourne. Mm. I, I think watching yeah. Djokovic play against Alcaraz over the next two years is going to be the most intriguing sight in tennis. Yes. Yeah. I think you're right there. Because you know Djokovic is just going <laughs> to devote his life mm. to being able to show he can still take this guy out. Absolutely, and I'm, I'm keen for that as well. What does it do in the minds of the ones that were supposed to be the next gen? What does it do to Tsitsipas, Zverev, Rublev? Well, I think he'd already put the, the frighteners on them back in the spring. Um, and then there was that yeah. period where they just, where where he he kind of started to struggle a little bit and and become a bit erratic. And uh, he said he lost the joy. He was yeah. He was stressed. He was feeling pressure. And has he, to be a chance of that happening back. again, really. With this For sure, pressure. but they don't want to be. It's surely not a healthy attitude for them to think. Oh well, I hope he. I'll just 
stick around and hope he starts struggling. I don't think they think like that. I think they rate themselves. I think Sitsipas and Zverev and all these, they think that they can take this guy out. They think they can take anyone What out. do we think? I, Are they looking I, to just try and squeeze one in now? I, honestly, if this guy plays to his potential, he's better than all of them. Mm. Yeah. And, I, you know, and they're probably at more than 60%? Yeah. Absolutely. Potentials. Yeah, I, I would say Sitsipas is probably at eighty-five. I'd say Zverev's at ninety-five, really ninety to ninety-five mm. percent of what, he, injury, of what yeah. he can be. I mean, you know that that match he played against Nadal is probably the best tennis I've ever seen from him. Uh, certainly at the Grand Slam pre pre injury, but you know, yeah, I think Juan Carlos has got it absolutely right. Sixty percent, and he's just won the U.S. Open. It's, it's exciting to think about it. Who, who deserves the most credit? Is it Matt for picking Alcaraz in... When was it? What year? When he was 13? 2017. Is it me who said that he would win the French Open this year and he kind of... Two slams later he did? I think it's Catherine's brother. Is it? Mm. Well, I think it's Matt. Why? Well, we don't condone betting here on the Chinese podcast. <laughs> but no, we don't take any betting sponsorship but, at uh, all here. Yeah, and uh, and my, my brother's not a big betting man, but he is a big Alcaraz man. Yeah, <laughs> and he made an exception. And uh, <laughs> he put a tenner on Alcaraz to win the US Open on March the 18th. Yeah. At 25 to 1. Pretty good. And, of course, his reaction to that is to be very annoyed he didn't put more on. (laughs) (laughs) Don't do that, kids. You only get one go at Alcaraz when he's 19. Yes, absolutely. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello Tennis Podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. 
That's where Home Chef comes in, being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times. Well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. So... I think that's about it for covering the men's singles final. Um, we have had some other big matches today, other finals. Uh, Matt, who won the women's doubles final today? That was Katerina Siniakova and Barbora Krejcikova. They are unbeaten in the slams this year. They've won three of them. They couldn't play Roland Garros because Krejcikova got COVID, but they won the Australian Open, they won Wimbledon, and now they've won the US Open as well. It's kind of amazing how Craig Sheikova has just gone back to being the best doubles player in the world. I mean, maybe her singles will will come again, but certainly this year she's been that, that doubles player again that we always knew that she was. That's the career golden slam for Sydney Arkova and Craig Sheikova. Yeah, and they're the only pair in women's doubles history to have won... All four slams, Olympic gold, and the, the WTA finals. Individually, uh, Pam Shriver and Gigi Fernandez have done it, but Siniakova and Krejcikova are the only pair to have done it, which and is Venus amazing. And Venus and Serena? I don't think they won the finals. Oh, the finals as well, mm. yeah. Just just the four majors and the, and the yeah. Olympic gold. yeah. yeah. I saw Barbara Krejcikova and Katarina Siniakova come out onto our Thrash Stadium at about 9.30 this morning because I was finishing off my audio diary um, that's going to be out tomorrow for friends of the tennis podcast. And, and I mean, you know, they were going through this really intense practice session. It was hours before they were due to play. Um, and, uh, yeah, they're, they're quite, quite a team. But a word for their opponents, Katie McNally, and particularly Taylor Townsend. I mean, they were a set... And four two up, and I mean, I, I thought they'd got it. I thought they were going to win it, uh, but even though they didn't, I just think it's so great to see Taylor Townsend in a Grand Slam doubles final. You know, it's ten years since she had the USTA. Basically, when she was world number one junior, basically take away the chance of her having a wild card in that tournament as a, 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 into the main draw and also for a while they eventually reinstated I believe the funding for her to travel but they took it away because they said she's not fit enough and um, yeah it's uh, you've talked about it already Catherine over the course of the week with, with regards to the outfit she's been wearing and the sort of you know the middle finger that that's given and, and she just gave a speech afterwards which was very straightforward and um, pointed about the fact that she has earned this place to be where she is and it's it's just a great story to see her there doing what she should be doing you know and doing what she's capable of 
and handled herself today with in the in the speeches and and presentations which which was conducted and presented by by Patrick McEnroe who we've got a lot of time for great commentator he's been very generous with with his, with his time um for us on on tennis relived but he was the head of the USTA when those pretty horrible decisions were made um she was body shamed and disrespected um and damaged really um i th- i think that was pretty pretty horrific what was done to her back then at a very formative age um and she was clearly conscious of that today during that speech um she didn't make a lot of eye contact and she was delightful but said a couple of quite pointed things about how much she has grinded ground grinded um and ps that's since having a baby last year 18 as well. months ago 18 yeah. months ago she's still only 26 years of age she has she, has, she has a heck of a career still to go and she's clearly hungry i think getting to play a final on the arthur ash stadium will make her even hungrier and i just such a fan such a fan of hers she is a wonderful role model um and a very important reminder that fitness and health look very different on different people um and i i love her yeah i love watching her (laughs) as well the way she makes you feel when she's playing the sport Mm. you know that 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 technique she has this the way she marauds to the net and she just mm. I want to see that joy in her game because it makes me feel joyful watching her play um so yeah as you say many years hopefully left and she said 2023 is going to be a big year for me and so oh, can't wait I would I'm so here for that we're going to follow that with interest what what else happened today Matt we had three wheelchair finals uh the in the men's singles Alfie Hewitt finally beat uh, Shingo Kaneda 7-6-6-1, overturning that that Wimbledon loss. Uh, so so Kaneda falls one match short of the calendar slam. For Hewitt, that's his sixth Grand Slam singles title and his third at the US Open. So really brilliant for him. Kaneda was going for a 29th Grand Slam singles title today. And he was going for the calendar year Grand Slam, wasn't yeah. he? Mm-hmm. Wow. Unbelievable. Mm. Anyway, I think mm. that's massive for Alfie Hewitt after yeah. serving for the match three times in the four Wimbledon times. four times. That, Do you that, know what? I said that on air earlier and then afterwards thought, oh, I must have got that wrong. It cannot possibly have been four times. Yeah. Um, and then losing losing the doubles final yesterday with Gordon Reid mm. having served for the match. Um, I, th- I think that was a big win for Alfie yeah, Hewitt. Chuff for him. Uh, Dieter de Groot, however, did win the Canada Grand Slam for the second straight year. Ridiculous. She has won her last 65 matches. <laughs> no way. 129 of her last 134 sets. Eat that, eager. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a streak. That's Esther Vigier getting on for that. Amazing. Yeah. Um, and then in the quad singles, Niels Vink beat Sam Schroeder 7-5. Six three. As you know, I have a soft spot for Niels Vink. Niels on on wheels. Niels on wheels. That's his website, is mm. it? Amazing. Big fan. 
Oh, that's so good. Seems a lovely chap and a great tennis player also, yeah. but Neil's on wheels. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, well, I mean, it's just been so good today. We've loved every minute of it. Um, and that, folks, brings our US Open daily podcasts to an end for 2022, um, certainly on the main feed here. Um, a few little thank yous that I'd like to give um, to our US Open mascot, Phoebe who's done a splendid job, don't you think, Catherine? Mm, I mean, dogs do a spent splendid job just by existing, <laughs> I think. She cheers um, me up. Yeah, but uh, any opportunity to look at pictures of other people's dogs that I don't know is very welcome for me. So thank you, Phoebe. Absolutely. And uh, to all of our newsletter predictions opponents and supporters, uh, Chris, Kyle, Paul, Richard... Sega and also our year-round predictions rival Essam. We've loved taking you all on. The final standings will be in our newsletter tomorrow. Essam is partial to a Hail Mary. Yeah, he went, That's what we've learned mm, about Essam this I was enjoying when Essam's picks come in. <laughs> it was like, right, Casparoo today. <laughs> yeah. I respect that. I very rarely go for Hail Marys, but I enjoy it when other people do. I like that he's got a strategy and he sticks to it. He does. Mm. And you know what? He's going to nail a couple of these and then suddenly we're <laughs> going to find ourselves in his wake. Um, but anyway, fantastic to have all of you with us. Um, and uh, yeah, get on the newsletter list if you're not already. The link to it is in our show notes. To Hannah for her brilliant work on Twitter. She makes us laugh, think, and she's just brilliant to work with, isn't she's- she? She is a gem. Yeah. Can't imagine Grand Slams without Hannah. No. They're so the best. Don't leave She's Hannah. She's the best. Right? <laughs> and uh, to Gorana for her super... <laughs> <laughs> for her superb work designing our newsletter every day. To Sarah for doing pole vaults for me while I'm asleep. I've got, I've got people, I've got staff <laughs> doing pole vaults when you're asleep so you can't like complain. It's good, isn't it? Well, except she she sends them through in the group chat, so I have... Oh, it's, it's, yeah. it's frustrating. Anyway. <laughs> Very talented woman, Sarah. I feel like she's wasted on, on that. OK. Anyway. Well, we'll come up with some of the things you do, Sarah. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thank you all for your support. Uh, to Darwin, who's my year-round mascot. And Darwin, you're excellent. You deserve a better person to be sponsoring than me, quite honestly, because I'm rubbish at predictions most of the time. Uh, to Carter, who's Catherine's mascot for mm, the year? I'm not allowed to disclose, am I, where, where I finished in the US Open predictions competition, but Carter, you will be... <laughs> <laughs> Delighted. For once, not hugely disappointed in me, okay. I don't think. To the dearly departed Gerald and Gerald's owners, Daryl and Liz, for sponsoring Matt. We're, we're, we're pretty happy. We've had a solid US Open. He has an unassailable lead. Uh, to Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss, of course, in just about every way, um, they're just the best, and they're also sponsoring Billie Jean the dog. To Chris Albert Lee and Carl Weingartner, our top blokes and executive producers, they are indeed splendid, aren't they? Mm. Most splendid. Nothing to add, splendid no, blokes. Absolutely. Uh, and to AO Travel for supporting us during the Australian Open, don't forget to check out ozopentravel.com to see their amazing packages. You can create your own, they'll sort everything out for you, all in one place. And don't forget, if you're a friend of the Tennis Podcast, you can enter our amazing competition. 
And for one final time, Matt, we have shout out Not to ever. the US Open. No, just US Open 2022. Okay. We do. We have Alex King in Apple Valley, Minnesota. Wow. Apple Valley. Yeah. Right, Alex. And Alex also comes with bonus rescue dog Dottie, who would love a shout out as well. So there we go. Hello, Dottie. Amazing. Like Hello, Dolly, but a little bit different. Do you have a picture of Dottie? No. No, okay. <laughs> I'm sure Alex can sort you out <laughs> at some point. Who else we got? We've also got Elspeth Dow in Leeds. I like the name Elspeth. Yeah. Very nice name. Is it. Is that Scottish for Elizabeth? Oh, is that what it is? I don't know. I've said that and now I'm not sure. <laughs> I mean, it's a lot like Elizabeth, mm. for sure. And I do know it is a very of nice a Scottish name. Elspeth. This Elspeth isn't from Scotland. Currently in Leeds. Currently. <laughs> right. Hello, Elspeth. All right, Elspeth. Sorry, I made that weird. <laughs> <laughs> we like weird here. <laughs> We've also got Trip Johnson, who is in Trip, Tennessee. Trip is American. Tennessee. Trip is one of those names that can only be American. Certainly couldn't be British, mm. and that's that's to our detriment. You might be Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> right, Trip. I like it. I like mm. it a lot. Tennessee, like, home of the Titans. You're, a, you're a, yes. I'm you, seeing the Titans. Trip, what's actually. Trip's surname? Uh, Johnson, as in Trip Steve. Johnson. He could be a character in, you know, an American teen drama. I think you're right. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Maybe he is. Well, I don't know. But <laughs> Trip has got a little story about how his tennis fandom started. Oh, yeah. It was saying it was all by chance. I was flipping, flipping through the channels and stumbled across Serena versus Kvitova in their 2012 Wimbledon quarterfinal match. Ever since then, I've kept up with every tournament from 250s right to wow, the slams. Wow, trip. Mm, it's great, Love isn't it? Love it. That's so excellent. Well, thank you so much um, for coming in as friends of the Tennis Podcast at the shout-out level. If you'd like a shout-out and to support the show generally, as well as getting access to our bonus podcast for friends, you can do that. The link to... Sign up is in our show notes and there is a shout out section of it along with the intros. So just choose whatever suits you and um, and that's available to you. And finally, we'd just like to wish a very happy birthday to Debbie Goldstein, who is a very loyal fan of the pod and she's turned 50. So a huge happy birthday to Debbie. Debbie, 50. Debbie, I don't know if you wanted a niche Alan Partridge gag for your birthday, but that is what you've got. <laughs> happy, happy birthday. That's too niche for me. Really? Oh, no. <laughs> Tough crowd. Happy birthday, Debbie. Happy birthday. Uh, and, uh, well, look, that's it. That's it for the US Open. We'll be back with uh, my diary tomorrow for friends. We've got our review show to record. We've got our Q&A. Uh, and then we're going to go and have a rest. Um, but it's been an absolute pleasure a treat a privilege to record these editions of the tennis podcast for you throughout the u.s open we hope you've enjoyed them thanks so much for for listening for getting in touch if you have been we, we've we've really enjoyed it and Catherine, thank you to you and to matt for keeping me company it's been lovely likewise i feel like you two have kept me company but i suppose 
We all feel the same. Yeah. Let's let's go and have a one Carlos Ferrero hug. Yeah. <laughs> and another whiskey. Right. We'll see you soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.